Cheers. Okay, have a seat. Thank you, team. Why don't we give it up again for the, our volunteers and worship leaders and all that. It's fantastic. That's a beautiful song. Jesus the Healer. I love that. Um, hi. So uh, it's great to be here in Iowa again. The last time I was telling the church last night, uh, last time I was here, there was like a tornado warning and the sirens were going off and I thought I was going to go home early to be with Jesus. Um, and then it rained on the roof and, and when it rains here, you can really hear it on that roof. So it was like, uh, it was like an upper room, almost dying situation, um, but we made it. And I was especially glad to see that we had clear skies this weekend. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to get right into this. Are you ready? Anybody, did anybody bring their Bibles this morning? That's good. There's like three of you. That's great. Well, we are going to have it digitally behind us for you modern Christians with your digital Bibles. Um, Okay, so uh, I've been married to Jasmine for 10 years, uh, actually 10 years as of next month, September 21st, praise God, pretty cool. Um, the national divorce year uh, is year seven. If you Google it, it's pretty fascinating. People, on average, people get divorced in year seven. And uh, Tim Keller guesstimates that the reason why people get divorced in year seven is because uh, basically after, after about six years, you start to figure out who you're married and you start to realize that a lot of, you know, dating was all lies. Um, and you're like, this is, you wake up one morning about year six and you're like, who are you? This is not the person that I married, I thought I married. Another thing, too, is human beings are master manipulators, and we, we manipulate ourselves um, into, into, you know, into marriage and believing things about somebody. Because you know, you're dating, and you're, you know, you're kinda, it's like the job interview that you're lying on your, you know, on your resume about. You know, it's like, yes, I'm a brain surgeon, and I'm a black belt in karate. It's like, sir, this is a McDonald's. You're a little overqualified. Just really need this job, man. You know. And um, so, uh, you know, you, you, but you believe that person because you just you're in love with them, right? You're infatuated, really, and, and so you're just believing everything that they say, even though there's indicators and red flags along the way that, yeah, maybe not. Um, and so, yeah, maybe maybe year six. Uh, here's an example. You know, a woman has a secret recipe for spaghetti sauce. It's her Nona's secret recipe, you know. And so she makes it for her husband, and, and he never complains about it. He just eats it because he's being polite uh, because he knows how much it means to her. But over the course of time, there's subtle hints that if she wanted to look further into it, she could discover that, you know, he's not wild about it. Um, but she would never marry a man who doesn't love her, her known as secret recipe, right? Like, because everybody loves her, right? And then year six, you know, he's, you know, she's like, okay, well, I'm making my, my secret recipe tonight. He's like, could we do Domino's instead? <laughs> right? And she's like, well, how could you, that's just, that's so perverted and wrong. 
Um, and my Nona Secret recipe, you want to eat real Italian, that's just, Domino's is disgusting. And he's like, I know, but I don't really like it. And she's like, who are you, right? And so my wife and I have been through this year six, seven, and eight, thankfully. I think we're almost on the other side of it. Um, <laughs> you never really are, are you? But, you know, you, essentially, at about year five, year six, you have to make this decision where you, you decide to get to know the person that you're married to. And rather than projecting onto them the idealized spouse or projecting onto them you know, who you thought you married or holding them accountable to be a person seven years ago. Yeah. You know, because people change too, don't we? Yeah. So maybe he liked that spaghetti sauce. Well, now he doesn't. Now what? Come on. You know, for better or for worse. And so I'm getting to know my wife all over again. And I'm trying to pay more attention because I can't project onto Jasmine who she is. I have to find out who Jasmine is. And so I'm, I'm um, you know, kind of got a little field notes. You know, I'm noticing that some things about my wife she, when she rolls her eyes, it could be because she's disgusted at something I just said. Or she really loves the thing that she's eating. My wife will roll her eyes in the back of her head when she loves food. And so, uh, and she doesn't, she, 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 she loves to be understood. And uh, that's one of her, I think, one of, maybe one of our human needs is to, is to be known. And so, Jazzy... Um, she loves sushi. She rolls her eyes into the back of her head when she eats sushi, okay? I know that sushi is a win if I bring that home, and I know exactly what she likes. Um, my wife loves avocado toast. She's Australian. Now, I'm Canadian. I would never think to love my wife with avocado toast. I grew up in small-town Canada. Uh, we had a, a truck stop. It was called the Teviotdale Truck Stop, and that's where we'd go out for breakfast. A town of 1,800 people. Um, all the farmers would go there, and they would have these, you know, kind of farmer platters, you know, early riser platters. You know what I'm talking about? You've got eggs, bacon, pork links, Canadian back bacon, all the important things, right? Maybe you'll have some mushrooms or maybe some beans or whatever, and you eat all of the meats, Right, and then and they bring the toast. It it comes on its own dish because it's not really invited to the party. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? And, and and so you eat all the really important stuff, and you're just mowing down. And then you 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 take the toast and you wipe your face with the toast, and you throw it on the ground because toast is trash <laughs> in Canada, anyways. It's trash. And if you're still hungry after eating the eggs and the pork links and the bacon and the Canadian back bacon and the beans and the mushrooms, you will get jam and you'll put jam on the toast and you will mask the taste of toast, right? And you eat it begrudgingly. My point is that I would never think in a million years to love my wife with, to with garbage, with toast. But my wife is Australian. And, and, and so it's been a learning curve for me. I thought that we'd have more in common because we were both, you know, penal colonies. 
right? The horse thieves went to Australia and the murderers went to Canada. And I'm thinking to myself, we're going to have more in common. Well, we don't. Okay, so, so anyway, so I'm getting to know her. And, and so uh, I'm starting to pay attention to the details because the, deta- the devil's in the details, right? And so I realize um, after all these years, she doesn't just like toast. And I, it took me years. I'm not kidding you to start paying attention to the details. She likes sourdough toast. I didn't even know there was different types of toasts. Right? So uh, she loves sourdough. So when I go to Trader Joe's and I'm going to get something, bring something home for my wife, I'm not bringing home all of the meats. Right? I'm getting her sourdough. She, I've learned about avocados. I never held an avocado in my, my, my life before I married this woman. I pick up an avocado now, use my thumb. I put my thumb into it. If it doesn't go in at all, it's not ready at all. If it's too in, it's too ready. It's got to go in just a little bit. And that one's ready. I've learned about salt. My wife doesn't like the trailer trash white table salt that I was raised with. (laughs) She wants pink Himalayan salt. Okay, she wants to kind of just feather it like Salt Bay. And then she she wants she wants a certain type of she wants high quality producer, the tiny expensive bottle of olive oil because she's got to drizzle that on her, her avocado toast. Not the big jug of no-name brand olive oil that I was raised, right? The olives have to be virgins. Okay? <laughs> Details. Extra virgins. Right? There's all of these details and now, hear me out. I love Jasmine. I want to show her that I love her. And, and the, the marriage experts tell you that you're supposed to, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to find out who that person is by listening to the things that come out of their mouth. And instead of loving them the way that you want to be loved, you find out about who they are, and then you love them the way that they need to be and want to be loved right? Paying attention to these seemingly unimportant, but actually pretty important details, okay? Now, would you agree with me that people have preferences? People have preferences, and you might not understand them. To you, they might be trash, but people have preferences. Would you agree with me? They just do. God is a person, He's not an impersonal cosmic force, contrary to what they'll tell you in Seattle. God's not a vibe, right? God's a person. And as a person, he has preferences. I have to, and I'm in a a relationship with him, which means that I need to find out who he is, what he likes, and give him the avocado toast. That's Christian worship. Christian worship is not projecting onto God and telling him who he is. That's modern spirituality. And I think that there's a lot of Christians that we, we, we get guilty of it because that's how our culture works. Our culture works where you're the center of the universe. And then you love God any way you want to love him. And you tell God what he's like and what he's not like. 
And essentially, you're creating God in your image, not his. You're worshiping an idol at that point. Right? It's kind of like uh, one of my favorite uh, movies, uh, Teledaga Nights. <laughs> Don't judge me. You got Ricky Bobby and his whole family, and they're at the dinner table, and they're praying. You know, it's a like six-pound, seven-ounce baby Jesus. And, and, and that's what we kind of tend to do. We talk to God in, in, in a way that we visualize him, but the issue is that Scripture is supposed to inform your view of God. Of course, there's a Bible, because God is a person. And he wants to be known Truly. I'm never going to be able to know everything there is to know about my wife, Jasmine. N- never. I-, I could never know Jasmine exhaustively. It- it- that's impossible. There's- God has put eternity in the heart of man. I mean, you know, we're going to be discovering everything that God's put inside of us for all of eternity. Right? She, is a- she is a bottomless pit of jasmine there's a lot in jasmine right never never mind i mean what do you think that when you go to heaven you're going to look up at god and be oh i get it no no you're going to be more confused than ever i'm never going to totally understand jazzy i'm never going to totally understand god um but i can know jasmine and i can know god accurately I can't know them exhaustively, but I can know them accurately, right? Through their self-revelation. And the scriptures are the self-revelation of the God of the Bible. So if you want to know God, you have to read the scriptures, right? And as we read the scriptures, that begins to inform and shape Right, how we imagine God, which is really important. David said, Lord, let the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Right, God, when I think about you, I want that to be acceptable. The Father's looking for worshipers that worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? God wants, he wants those spiritual vibes. He wants you to connect in that deep, calling unto deep, but he also wants to be known truly and accurately. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Okay, that's my introduction. Okay, so Christian worship, what is it? It's finding out who God is through his self-revelation and then giving him the avocado toast. Okay, let's look at some scripture. Let's get our first scripture up. Psalm 141, verse 2, I believe. There it is. So David is, is in a desert, and he's on the run for his life here. And he, is, he wants to worship God at the tabernacle. David loved the house of God, but he can't be there in this moment. And so he's praying this prayer from a distance, longing for connection, meaningful connection, connection that God has approved of. And so he's obviously writing and praying in the spirit, as Jesus says, about David. And so he says this, Lord, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And David is praying through the tabernacle furniture If you remember the Ark of the Covenant, remember that golden box right from that movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Remember at the end of the movie, they open up the box and all the Nazis' faces melt off? That box, okay. (laughs) That box was God's presence on earth, okay? And 
that box was in the holiest of holies. It was God's green room. Nobody's allowed to go in there or else they'll get zapped. And there was this veil across God's green room. And on the other side of that veil, immediately on the other side of that veil, was an altar with incense on it. And the priests were to keep that incense burning perpetually. And David is saying, God, let my prayers be counted as incense before you. You know that incense that we burn right outside of your green room that you can smell it? Right? Because it's, it's on the other side of your veil and masks don't work. You can smell the incense. Nathan, no. Nathan, stop. Okay. Let my prayer be... God, when I pray... When I pray, would my prayers be, would, 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 can you smell them, God? I'm out here in the wilderness, but can you smell them like the incense? And God's going, yes, I, can, I smell your prayers. Right? He's anticipating New Testament worship and ultimately the, the, the revelation that we have in the New Testament. I mean, the book of Revelation itself, right? The prayers of the saints are incense that are rising before the, God smells your prayers. Isn't that cool? No matter where you are. Then David continues and he says, In the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. As in, God, I want to give you the things that you have asked for. Because I love you and I'm in a relationship with you. Right? By the way, have you ever noticed that sometimes people pit relationship, you know, against religion? You ever notice that? And it feels like what they're saying is, no, I'm in a relationship with God. It means I can do whatever I want. I'm in a relationship with a woman, and let me tell you, I can't do whatever I want. You don't understand relationship if that's what you think you're saying theologically. No, dude, I got to give her the avocado toast. Or I'm dead. Come on. David's saying, God, I'm in a relationship with you. I love you. I want to show you that I'm in this thing. I'm paying attention to the things that you desire. And you're king. There's some protocol here. You are the center. I'm not the center. And I want to worship you. But I'm I'm not at the tabernacle right now. So God, can I... If I lift my hands to you, would that be like the evening sacrifice that you have specified pleases your heart? Pretty presumptive, isn't it, of David? Well, it's not presumptive. He's he's saying this in the spirit. He's anticipating New Testament worship. But ultimately, he locks into something that God likes. God likes hands. It's his avocado toast. I don't get it. I don't know why he likes hands, but he likes them. And I don't need to understand it. I just need to give them to him. You hearing me? If you got a hand, just lift it to me. Just a little audience participation moment, okay? Now just wave your hand like that. That's high. How are you? Okay, you can put him down. The Hebrew word for hand is yod, Y-A-D is the English transliteration. And to wave the hand is to yad-ah. Yada, Y-A-D-A-H, is the English transliteration. And you've probably heard yada, but in its 
uh, it, in its English transliteration, or rather a German transliteration, the Germans like to turn the Y's into hard J's, uh, which is why we call you know Yahweh Jehovah. That's a that's a that's a German uh, transliteration, um, or Yeshua, Jesus, or Joshua, for example. But you've probably heard Yada in its in its German transliteration, which is Judah, and Yada Yad means hand, Yada means to wave the hand. Okay, and it, and it literally came to mean praise. It's one of the main words in the Jewish language for praise, to yada, main one, right? So in the, in the, in the Hebrew mind, praise always involved these guys, right? Because it's the root word of their word for praise. Are you hearing me? Okay, so the lifting up of my yads, and that's... In, in, in the Masoretic text there, as the evening sacrifice. Okay, let's, now let's do this. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna skip to Hebrews chapter 13. And we're going to keep this one in mind. So the book of, of Hebrews is written to a, a number of Christians, they're Jewish Christians. It was an encyclical letter written to Jewish Christians all throughout the Mediterranean. Jewish Christians had it maybe the hardest uh, for the new believers, because when you became a Christian and you were Jewish, you were kicked out of the synagogue, your parents stopped inviting you over for dinner, you were completely ostracized from your family and your friends, everybody stopped doing business with you, and you went broke, right, really quickly. This is why Paul had to go throughout the Mediterranean and take up the Judean Relief Fund. This is why they were selling their property and, and, and creating a fund just to feed people. Okay, and so there was this huge temptation because of the socioeconomic pressure on these Jewish believers to leave Jesus. Not only that, their detractors were saying, "Dude, you, what is this new Jesus religion that you're like? You have how do you worship? How do you worship Jesus? You got nothing. You don't have a temple. You don't have the priesthood." You don't have the sacrifices. You don't have Moses. You don't have all of these different things. And so the book of, of Hebrews is a response to their detractors. And the, the, the theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. He's better than Moses. He's better, his priesthood is better. He's better than the temple. We have better sacrifices to give. And so it's instructions for these Jews who, who are going, yeah, how do we worship? What do, what do we say to these people who are questioning us and cross-examining us? You following me? In Hebrews chapter 13, it all culminates, and it begins to give these people practical ways of how they can worship God. It talks about an altar at the beginning. We have a, we have a, a better altar. Um, and then it begins to talk about the sacrifices that go on that altar. And so it says this, through Jesus then, let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. Where does that sacrifice of praise idea come from? There's Old Testament precedent. The author of the book of Hebrews has copied and pasted Psalm 141 verse 2 and just dropped it in there. This is really important for these readers, right? Because they're going, oh, yeah, David offered up his hands as an evening sacrifice. It was yada. You hearing me? Are you seeing that? And that is the fruit of lips. There's the prayers that are connected to the lifting of the hands that acknowledge his name. And, and, and then the next one is, and don't forget to do good. Yeah. 
and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, let's just pause on this sermon and deal with that really annoying theological term, sacrifice, for a second. Some of us have maybe bought into, or we've misunderstood the word grace. I'm a grace preacher. I love the grace of God. I rejoice in the grace of God. The grace of God is everything. We need the grace of God. Okay? Now, the grace of God is not opposed to works. It's opposed to merit. Right? I'll say it one more time. The grace of God is not opposed to works. In fact, if the grace of God has truly come upon you, you will work harder than anybody else. That's what Paul said. It was not I, but the grace of God that was working in me. You hearing me? And his grace towards me was not without effect. Right? Grace is tangible. It's not just some you know, metaphysical subtlety, some sort of detached cerebral thing. Now, grace, you can tell there's grace on somebody's life because they're working like a workhorse. You hearing me? So grace is not opposed to works. No, it empowers works. It's opposed to merit, to thinking that you deserve anything at all. Okay, so sacrifice. What do we do with the word sacrifice as Christians? Okay, so we need to separate some things for, for a moment. Firstly, there's a once and for all unrepeatable sacrifice that happened at the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Jesus took the sin of the world on his, in, his, in his body. He bore our sins. He who, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, right? So he bears the sin of the world and he is the once and for all unrepeatable sacrifice, you do not sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sin. You, you don't. Jesus, Jesus is the once and for all unrepeatable sacrifice. We don't sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus did that. We sacrifice from the forgiveness of sin. Why? Because we're in a relationship with God now. Everything's been put right. And now we're going, God, I'm in this, and I want to show you that I love you. I'm invigorated. I, I, the, the grace of God, is, it, it propels me to, sh to, you know, to show you that I'm in this thing. Right, Romans chapter 12, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Right, the... Paul talks about the sacrifice that was a sweet-smelling incense when, when the, the Philippians wrote a check. Right? There's, we, I mean, we just read three sacrifices here. So we see that sacrifice is a New Testament reality for Christians. Well, I don't need to do anything. You don't need to do anything, but you're in a relationship. And if you're in a relationship, you're going to want to maintain that relationship. You're going to want to show that person that you love them. Well, I don't need to maintain anything. Well, you should read your Bible. You really should. You kind of do. Because it's not only that. It's not only that you're in a relationship. It's also your job. Let's go to our next passage here. This is Peter writing to you. Writing to you, the New Testament church. He says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual... What kind? acceptable ones as well? Ones that God's asked for, not the ones that you just think that he needs? 
All right, let's, let's, parse, out, let's parse out this, this passage. You yourselves like living stones. You're a, better, a better understanding contextually, right? Living stones being built up as a spiritual house. A better understanding of spiritual stones is bricks. You're a brick. You are designed... There's something, there's something corporate about your salvation and about your spiritual design. Right? Have you ever seen a brick all by itself? It's like the sad, it's like, oh, buddy. Right? Whenever you see a brick by itself, it's out of place. It looks sad. It's like, oh, where's your friends? Are you chipped? You were left behind. You know, it, it's always bricks don't belong just laying on the sidewalk. Yeah. When you see it on the sidewalk, you look for where it's supposed to go, don't you? Like, oh, where are you, where are you, where are you supposed to, where do you belong, buddy? <laughs> right? That's Christians. Christians that are alone, it's odd, it's weird, it's strange, it's contrary to design. Yeah. Spiritual bricks belong in the spiritual house, right? It, you are designed to be in the house. It's literally your design. Living stones being built up. Now, here, I'll just say this. I like online church for people that are in traction, right? If you're in our, in our military, you know, and you're, let's say you're doing a drone strike somewhere and it's Sunday morning, you know, and you're about to, like, blow some terrorists up. You're doing your drone strike, and you got church online right there. But you're just, you're just watching, like, and you're singing the song, Jesus, my healer. <laughs> Jesus, right? I love that for you. Thank you for your service. <laughs> you hearing me? You know what I mean? Like, okay, you, you know, you can't be here. You're, you're on the job. That's fantastic, right? Like, there's jobs where you, maybe you're not going to be there for, on a Sunday morning. And so that's why we have church online. But if you are in your underwear, on your couch, eating hot Cheetos on a Sunday morning, and you think that you're going to church by staying home online, dude, you're not a living stone in that moment. You're a rolling stone in that moment. Come on. No, 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 no. You're, you're a living stone when you're gathered. <laughs> hey, don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at, at Peter, okay? He's, he's annoying, Peter. So, so it's, one of the, it's one of those realities that... And, that, and, and this is the cool thing about, about following Jesus is that oftentimes you're more spiritual than you think you are. Because we have these ideas of spirituality that are sort of esoteric. You know, you're really spiritual when you're, you know, you're speaking in tongues. Or you're really spiritual when you're doing this and that and the other thing. And those things are great. But you are serving one of your big purposes right now just by being in church. You're, you're doing better than you think you are. Isn't that cool? You're fulfilling your purpose. To, you, you showered. You put some deodorant on. Well, some of you did. You're killing it. You're serving God. You're a living stone this morning. This is part of your calling. You're the gathered church. 
Now, the reason why we gather, this is sequential here, contextually. So stones being built up as a spiritual house. Once you're a spiritual house, you've unlocked level two. Okay? Level two is to be a holy priesthood. Right? It's your job to be a priest. Now, what do priests do? They offer spiritual sacrifices. What kind? Acceptable ones. Ones that God has asked for. To God through Jesus Christ. One of the, I have a beef with um, some of our cultural formation. Now, let me, let me just preface this and say this. I love free market capitalism. I love it. I'm a huge believer in it. I think that if you open a cafe tomorrow and your food's awful and your staff are awful and your music's awful and the vibes are awful, I hope that your cafe goes out of business. And I'm going to tell everybody never to go there. Right? Because we vote with our dollars. Right? And that's a good thing. We award people for good service, right? And I hope that if you open a cafe tomorrow and your food is good and your employees are great and they're, they're happy and the room is nice and all, all that stuff, then I will, I'm going to tell everybody to go there. And I hope that you flourish. That's the beauty of free market capitalism, okay? So consumerism, there's a check and balance in there and I really love it, okay? The problem, though, is when we take the consumer realities, which are great and fantastic, you know, like everywhere else outside of church, we're a consumer, and that's okay because you're voting with your dollars. You're going to the places that you're respected, that you're honored, that you're taken care of. That's great. But the thing is, is when you come to church, you're not a consumer, you're a priest. And what has happened, I think, is that there are so many people who come into church with their Yelp review app. Okay? My wife is a Yelper. What's a Yelper? It's essentially online reviews of restaurants. Okay? I don't know if you've ever... My wife is big into... Like, if I haven't read reviews about a place that I'm taking to, she doesn't even want to go. Right? I'm more adventurous. Let's just, let's just figure it out. She's like, no. I'm going to read the reviews. <laughs> don't read just the top ones. Scroll down. Okay? So... What can happen is we come into church, we got our Yelp review, okay? And so you come in, and, you know, you're like, you know, out of five stars, right? So you're like, well, it was a little dark in there. I kind of prefer, there's no natural lighting, and I just prefer churches to have a bit more natural light, so I'm minus one star. And it was a little, it was a little loud for me. So, minus another star. They didn't sing Good, Good Father this morning. It's like my favorite song. Minus another star. Who's this freak? Where's Pastor Jesse? Zero stars. <laughs> Come on, you hearing me? And, and, and what, what tends to happen is that we're in this consumer mode. We've forgotten why we're here, and it's all about us and our needs and our wants, our desires, our preferences. That's not how a relationship works, number one. And number two, you're on the clock when you come into church. You're, on, you're a priest, and you're on a mission. What do priests do? They minister to the Lord, and they minister to others. Your primary role as a priest is to minister to God. 
In fact, the, the reason why the church exists, it's in this order. Number one, the church exists to worship God. Number two, the church exists to equip the saints. And number three, the church exists to reach the world. Not in the reverse order, in that order. Right? The shorter Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. The reason why you exist as a human being, first job is to worship Jesus. If that's all you did, it would still be good enough. Now, obviously, we have other things to do, but that's our primary mission. We gather as a church because we belong to him. We're his. And we gather to worship him. We're priests. And so we come, we used to sing this song when I was a kid in the 80s. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house hey, of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise. Yes, we do. Into the house hey, of the Lord. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we offer up to you. Okay. Worst song in the world. Great theology. Great theology. We were singing about why we were in church. And I believe that so many of us have forgotten why we're in church and what we're supposed to be doing here. I'm here because I'm a priest. I'm here by the grace of God, not because I'm awesome at being a priest. I'm here because Jesus forgave me. But he also gave me a job. I'm in a relationship with God, but he gave me a job. And I want to know him. And so he's revealed himself in Scripture. And so one of the reasons why we lift our hands in Scripture is because we're priests and we got to give God the avocado toast. And so we, right, like we, we're not just doing Christian karaoke in here. That's not, that's not, that's not why, like why do we do what we do as a church? We do this because this is the biblical pattern. Right? We're lifting our sacrifice of praise. Our, our hands, God, you know, so, so when you come into church, you go, God, hi, it's me. I brought these. <laughs> well, I'm not really a hand lifter. Well, be a hand lifter. I'm not an avocado toast maker. <laughs> come on, be bold. Be bold. I, I am not a professional avocado toast gatherer maker. I've become one, though, because that's what my wife wants. And I love her. And so if that's what she wants, that's what she's going to get. God, you want my hands? I'll lift them. Not a problem. Because I'm a priest. We could be singing kumbaya. It doesn't matter. I'm lifting my hands to you. I'm here to minister to you primarily. And then I minister to others. Now, the paradox is that those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So as you begin to minister to the Lord, the Lord begins to minister to you. His presence shows up, and, if, and then we eat from the altar and, you know, the sacraments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, let's keep moving. Next verse. <laughs> Somebody's sleeping back there. I'm kidding. You're doing a great job. My heart is steadfast. Oh, God, my heart is steadfast. This is David again. I will sing and make melody. And then he says the strangest part in this next, this next verse here. He says, awake my glory. 
You know, it's like, okay, uh, usually the Bible talks about God's glory. Awake, O harp and lyre, he tells us what his glory is. So he's, he's getting up, he's doing his morning devotions, he's got his Fender Stratocaster strapped on, he's plugged into his Marshall stack, right, turns the amp up to 11, and he's like, I will awake the dawn. Right, remember Back to the Future when Marty plugs in and the speakers blow, you know, that's David. And he's, essentially what he's saying is, God, I'm going to worship you, but I'm going to worship you with the best part of me. So he's saying, awake my glory. What is David's glory? He was the Jimi Hendrix of the harp. Right? He was a heavy. When he played Demons Fleed. It was crazy. We have his entire discography. It's the Psalms. He was an prof- incredible writer. And what he's saying is, God, God I, I'm going to worship you, but the, that highest flower of my being that I love, that I nurture, this gift that you've given me, because God's given us all glory. Hebrew word for glory is kabod. It means weight. God's given everybody. Everybody in this room has some kabod from God. Everybody. It's like beauty. Anything that's beautiful in the world is from God. Beauty is, all beauty is transcendent. It first originates in God himself. This is why the Bible says, give unto the Lord, O you mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord glory, do his name. Because what you're doing is you're returning that that kabod, that glory that's God given you. Kabod is the reason why maybe somebody would call you and ask you for advice. Your kabod is the reason why maybe somebody would text you and go, hey man, can you help me out with this? Kabod isn't just what you're good at, it's also your dialed inness, your presentness. Um, I was at this Calgary Flames hockey game last year. It was a playoff game. And the coach of the Calgary Flames has a Down syndrome son. He's about 40 years old. And in the third period, um, they have this moment for the coach's Down syndrome son, they, they go, it's the Greg, I can't remember his last name, time. And the whole stadium started to go electric. And my buddy who took me to the game, he's like, watch this. I'm like, okay, you know. And they put the camera on this dude and they play dance music. And for like two minutes, he dances as hard as he can. And the whole stadium goes crazy because he's going harder than, he's just going nuts, just dancing, you know, YMCA, whatever the track is. And people are going, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. He's the worst dancer ever. <laughs> you hearing me? But his, the glory was just pouring out of him, yes. right? And his glory created glory in the arena. Yes. It was the most amazing. It's not just what you're good at. It's also your presentness. Your... It's like when you're on that first date with your wife. You know? Don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> Even when I dream of you. Right? One of the ways that I love my wife is by listening to her psychotic dreams. My wife always has a dream. Every night, she always has these dreams. And I don't really like listening to their dreams because they're always long and elongated and, and there's just a lot of you know, they're, they're weird, you know. Sometimes she's angry at me, too. 
like from something that I did in a dream. You know what I mean? Like I was sleeping innocently last night beside you. Um, anyways, so she'll be, there'll be this, there'll be moments in our day where, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm wrapping this up. There'll be moments in our day where we'll, we'll be driving. And I'll be like, hey, you know, do you want to tell me about your dream? And she'll be like, yeah. I'm like, okay, tell me about your dream last night. So she'll be like, I was driving through, and I'm driving here, right, keeping us alive. And so she, but she's, you know, returning volley here. And she, I was in Jurassic Park last night in my dream. And Jurassic Park, wow, you know. Make eye, tam, eye contact, show interest. <laughs> what happened next, dear? <laughs> Repeating back, you know, all of the important things. So then, then a, a, a velociraptor started to chase me. Velociraptors. Wow, clever girl. <laughs> right. And then a Tyrannosaurus Rex came from out of nowhere and started to kill the Velociraptor. You know, and I'll be driving, but I'm noticing that there's like this dude that's been following me, you know, for some time. He's getting a little close, and could it be the FBI? <laughs> you know, I, I did donate to the Trump campaign $50 seven years ago. <laughs> Oh, th 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 yep, it's the IRS. They're definitely taking me down for that one, you know. And, you know, and then, you know, she kind of drones out in the distance because I'm now I've got the FBI on my tail, you know, and I'm in my, my little world. And she'll go, Nathan, where are you? God is like a woman. He knows when you're not there. You know, so, so God wants Yod. So you should give him Yod, right? You should bring him. And, but God wants Yod with Kabod. He wants hands with your presentness, with your heart, with your fullness. If you're a business entrepreneur and you're good at making money, God gave you that glory and he wants you to return it. This is why we, we give our money because our money represents our time, our presentness, our focus. So when you're giving money to the Lord, you're giving your life to him. Your time, your present, you, you hearing me? See, so God wants Yod, give him Yod, but he wants Yod with Kabod. Now, when I give God Yod with Kabod, I get God with Kabod. It's the same thing with my wife. When I give her the avocado toast and I give her, don't want to miss a thing. Right? I get Jasmine's glory, her dialed inness, her spark. And then we have a real relationship. That's why we worship. It's, the whole point is God's glory. You want the glory of God in your life? You know, God has a kabod, God has a weight, He has a dialed inness, He has a spark. You could experience it. But, but God is faithful to not show up to altars that we don't care about. 
James chapter 4. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's for Christians. It's written to the church. You, you want the glory of God? Cool. You draw near. Draw near with the right sacrifices. The acceptable ones. Right? You come near with your heart. With your, you come with the yod and the kabod. God, I'm here. And God begins to draw near with his glory. with His. Do- what would it look like if God's glory began to show up in your life? There's this principle in the Old Testament. You look through all of the altars, every single altar ever, ever, ever built. Every time the altar's built the way God asked for it to be built and the sacrifice was put on the altar, the proper sacrifice, fire comes on the altar. And the, and the principle is this. Stand with me. Stand with me. Come on. This is the principle. Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. Every time I give God the right sacrifice, he shows up in his fire. That's the confidence that a New Testament believer should have. When we come to church, we should be a little bit giddy. Be like, oh, I'm excited. I'm going to counter God today. God, I've given to you. God, I'm lifting my hands to you, and I know that every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. Every time I worship you, the way that you want to be worshipped, fire's coming on the altar. So I don't know when it's coming, I don't know where it's coming, but I know it's on the way because you always show up when I show up. Now, none none of us live perfectly. We're all a bit distracted. You know, like, like, like listening to my wife. And I have to come back. Right, God, I'm, I'm back. You know, Jazzy, I'm back. I'm back. Where, where were you? And you know, she'll be like, oh, okay. <laughs> so then that stegosaurus came out of nowhere, right? <laughs> right, God, I'm back. God, I'm back. I haven't been perfect in my worship. God, I've been distracted. I haven't been, I haven't been faithful in my giving. Lord, I, I've made church all about me. And, I've, and worship all about me. And I've totally forgotten why I'm here and I'm back. And I'm sorry. I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. And I'm sorry. I repent for the thing that I've made it. I've made it about myself, about what I can get, all about my preferences. God, I'm back. I repent of that. I'm going to be a priest from now on. That's the switch that we have to make if we're going to be a church of glory. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for every priest. I thank you for every altar here. And God, I ask you that fire would come on every altar where the sacrifices are right. Father, I thank you for the honor and the privilege it is to be a priest under the Lord. So God, we just, we just honor you in this moment. And, and God, we ask you, that Holy Spirit, that you would underline and highlight places where we've been making spirituality and this, this relationship with you all about ourself. God, places where we've been neglecting our priesthood. And Father, we come back again to the heart of worship where it's all about you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to myeternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at myeternitychurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.